Hi, this is Vanessa Marshall. I play Harrison Dula on Star Wars Rebels, and you're listening to the Clashing Sabers Network. Here we go again. Past the compressor. You were the chosen one! Something truly special. Congratulations. You are being rescued. Revenge is not the Jedi way. I am no Jedi. The ability to speak might not make you intelligent, but we're going to try to prove otherwise. This is the Clashing Sabers podcast. I am one of your hosts, Brandon, and I am here with my co-host. He sends Cahoons to deliver bad news for him. It's... Hey, it's Drew. How you doing tonight, Brandon? I'm good. It feels good to be back at it. Slipping a little Attack of the Clones reference there at the beginning of the show, just to... I, w- I was wondering, because like, I'm not sending you small wooden drums that you sit on and play when you don't have a full drum kit to use. I don't send those anywhere. See, that's a really specific joke. <laughs> to the two people that got it, uh, congratulations. Me, I'm a little short. It's up there somewhere. You're, you're my kind of person, you who understand what a cajon is, but it's funny to me. So uh, in better news, though, uh, we <laughs> closed out 2021 a lot better than uh, the world here at Clashing Sabers because we finished our, uh, our fundraiser and yes. we raised $1,860. Oh my gosh, that which is amazing. Did not quite meet our $2,000 goal that we had set, which was a lofty goal. Uh, we our, knew it was yeah, a lofty goal, point. but we, we beat our uh, our amount from last year by over $200. Oh, so man. we will take that all day. Uh, that's five to 600 books that we're going to be putting into classrooms. Um, so. So I think from like when we started that, the first time we started collecting money for this kind of thing, I think we're up to like what close to four thousand dollars lifetime, right? Uh, not including our Patreon, we had about five hundred the first time, and then sixteen hundred and eighteen hundred. So that a little over, work. yeah, yeah, not not too not too shabby. Um, and all of that is is from the great support of, of you guys who are listening and spreading the word. Uh, a, a huge thank you to uh, all the authors that donated signed print or signed books and, and memorabilia. Uh, Roberto Venegas, uh, obviously donating yes, some of his artwork. art prints. Oh um, my gosh, it's so beautiful. So yeah, it, it definitely is not like a just us here at the network doing it it takes a lot of people uh supporting it people sharing it uh you know things like that we had a huge um group of podcasters who supported spreading the message yes um so players i would literally take an hour to to go through all of them so just (laughs) if you know you know shout out to you um but yeah man it it really blew my mind um and so winners have been contacted i will be be sending out your prizes soon here and uh what we really need is we need some more teachers um we have three right now that i'm going to be uh getting boxes ready for uh here but just i already have probably 200 books in my closet um waiting to get packaged up and i would really like to go um get some more um and send those out to teachers so if you if you haven't listened before the way that we we do this primarily is uh wait for the, the teachers um or wait for the teachers to get nominated so that way i can select the books uh based on their needs um and then i have just collected some you know 
more general books that could go to a general ed classroom, but we've we've worked uh, with special ed classrooms, uh, autistic, mm-hmm. uh, rural, suburban. Uh, we've de- deaf. Uh, shout out Amanda, uh, working with some deaf students there. So nice. excellent. It's it's really about getting the the books in these teachers' hands and. God, if we ever needed <laughs> to uh, lift teacher spirits a little bit more and lift student spirits a little bit more, it would be... This would be a good thing to do now. The, the year, yeah. So Now would be good. If you know anybody or you are anybody who is a teacher, um, go over yeah. to clashingsabers.com and yeah, don't be uh, shy to say hey, I'd like, I could take some books and you know we'd, we'd sh- we'll ship them out to you it doesn't matter or if you want to get some to a school you went to as a youngster or are going to if you're that young I mean we'll t- we'll send them wherever you guys want them to go so all we need is just a destination and, and Brandon will stick them in the mail we'll get yeah. them where they're going absolutely absolutely so uh, send those over and uh, also make sure you go over uh, to the Star Wars podcast day hashtag this is uh, we're doing a, a big release today for Star Wars podcast day February 7th which is the date that the first Star Wars podcast came out that's why it's Star Wars podcast day we've got three episodes coming out today so you've got us here at the Clashing Sabers podcast and then Zach Hi. and Lindsay uh, over at Sith Talk and Lindsay is stepping in as the full-time co-host there and then uh, Mark is doing a special release of his first episode as a little preview for something special that's coming down oh. the road, a uh, a Forever Star Wars special editions. So <laughs> stay tuned for that. But yeah, we've got all that in the feed. But make sure you go over to the, the hashtag and share the other shows and check out all the great uh, Star Wars podcasters because, like I said, I mean, I just started messaging people on Twitter, just asking for, hey, can you just help spread the word? And not only did everybody say yes, and everybody was excited about it, but I mean, the podcasters especially went above and beyond to add links to spread the word to even uh, put contests of their own um, and and give people rewards for entering um, our fundraiser. So the podcast community is just absolutely mind-bogglingly amazing. Um, and so make sure you go check that out. But Drew, it's hey. been a minute uh, since yeah. we've done this. Uh, it's been a couple <laughs> months since it, we've just recorded a Clashing Sabers episode yeah. uh, that you and I were both on, let alone just the two of us. So what the heck have you been Star Warsing lately? Well, it's been, a, a like you said, it's been a very busy season. So it's kind of... I'm. I'm I'm sort of glad we've had a little break because it's allowed me to catch up on some things and it's taken me longer to get through things than normal. Um, we finished Fallen Star uh, last week, on really on the day that the next book in the High Republic series, Midnight Horizon, was released. So I haven't even ordered my copy of that yet. Um, I feel like I'm missing a book in between somewhere, so I might need your help in figuring out which one I, I, I don't own yet to f- figure that out. I also finished reading, finally, the second volume of collected comics from the High Republic series, which was interesting, but you're not following the comic series, I don't think, are you? Uh, I just caught up on volume one. So okay. volume two is next. I'm. You'd be proud of me. Your boys are using oh. the public library. Hey, look at you. I know, I That's know. That's fantastic. Well, I, I just... had to renew my subscription to the library, which was kind of weird, like, because I get an out-of-county one. Because my county is like <laughs> has like four libraries and the 
County for Charlotte has like 18. So I was like, I'm going to use their libraries. But I had to renew it. I had forgotten about it until they were like, no, we can't log you in. You owe us 40 extra dollars. I was like, what? All right, fine. Well, I had a lot of uh, reading time and it felt like, you know, hey, I can read a comic on the plane and get through the go. whole book in one one fair swoop. So Yeah, they're... they're, they're I feel like reading comics takes a very particular set of skills. But what I do have are a very particular set of skills. Skills I've acquired over a very long career. Skills that make me a nightmare for people like you. And I'm not entirely sure I'm best suited for that format, but it, it seems, you know, after reading Fallen Star, um, I really need to make sure I'm paying a little better attention to what's going on because I'm not going to tell you anything about the book. We don't want to ruin anybody's surprises if they haven't finished it yet. But uh, if you're not reading the other materials out there, there are a number of big question marks of like, why is this the way it is? And I was a little frustrated with that. I don't know how anybody else felt about it. But one of my concerns when the High Republic started was, are we going to have to consume everything in order to understand the entirety of the storyline? Or are we going to be able to kind of stick with the medias that we prefer and still get to experience some kind of cohesive storyline. And for the most part, it seems to have been pretty good until this particular entry, which really kind of bothered me. Um, there were just within the first couple of chapters, you're like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait, this is bombshell news. Why is this just kind of a passing glance of information? Uh, and I didn't really care for that <laughs> at all. <laughs> kind of made me mad. I'm not going to lie. I was a little bit disappointed. Yeah, I think... <sighs> I think I read it in a really interesting way because when something like that would happen, I was like, okay, that's probably what's going on in the comics. And I was able to just keep going. It wasn't really yeah. so much of a, oh my God, why am I not hearing about this? Uh, I mean, for example, very minor spoiler, but this has been pretty much true for all of the High Republic books. Avar Chris is not in the books a lot, but she's a strong presence in the Super comics. Super disappointing, but whatever. Fair, fair. Um, but, you know, reading the comics, I'm like, oh, my God, she's all over the comics. Like, she's everywhere. And yeah. really, like, I think I think the big thing with the High Republic is almost what they're doing on TV versus the movies where you have these certain characters that fall into a certain medium, right? Like, you have Ahsoka is in the TV shows. Mando is in the TV shows. You're not getting them in the movies, well, yet. I mean, we're, yet. we're talking about, like, this is kind of, this is much more Marvel Phase 1, where you might get hints of other characters existing in the same universe, but there's not that crossover event yet, where you get people jumping from from item to item, except we have people jumping from animation to live action, which has been a lot of fun. But I, 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 I feel like they're definitely setting up the, the multimedia projects, to tell an ongoing storyline that will kind of dip and weave in and out of the different series individually. Kind of the way, you know, the Thanos story does in Marvel, how all the movies are taking place kind of chronologically, most for the most part, and they're continuing the overall storyline while, while still telling the story they want to tell. There are still outside beats that they need to make sure get hit within their particular film in order for the overall storyline to move at the pace that they wanted to. And I think we could see evidence of that in uh, the the Boba Fett show. You know, that's been one of the points of grief that people have had, it seems. Wrong, though it may be. But, you know, 
the last couple, I don't, I know that uh, our, our our friends over at Sith Talk are going to get into more of it, but you know, the last two episodes of the Book of Boba Fett have barely featured the main title character, uh, which isn't necessarily a bad thing to me. I think it's fine because the themes and the things that they're trying to do with the storytelling all line up with everything else they've done. So I have no problem with that. Yeah, I think the biggest thing is just the level to which uh, our title character has been not just a non-factor, but seemingly not affected by the events of the last two episodes. Well, uh, uh, I don't know about that because we don't know the effect yet. But again, it's it's still setting up the same kind of thematic elements, I think. You know, the difference between, you know, ongoing Star Wars issues of found family, um, what to do when your identity relies on a thing that can no longer be relied upon, you know, the child who must set out upon their own decisions and find their own place in the galaxy. I mean, that's Boba Fett's story in a nutshell, is it not? The poor guy lived on Camino, his home got destroyed, completely blown up. He, he's never had a home until now. So he's trying to do the best to protect the only home that he can actually call his own. I mean, does that not sound exactly like Dinge Jaren's uh, particular saga at the moment? And we know that the child or Grogu himself is going to have to have similar conversations with himself. No, I think I think we the idea of us not knowing everything is what's really getting lost in the nuance of the conversation. Right. Is like there is this large story going on. I think the biggest gripe that I have heard and it's it's a gripe that I understand but don't necessarily agree with is like we've literally gotten two scenes with Boba Fett in the last no one scene with Boba Fett yeah yeah, in the last two episodes and um you know he didn't say anything which like I I think you're definitely on to something that there's this parallel that's going on um But I think all the things that were, especially in this most recent episode, spoiler alert for for Book of Boba Fett. I'm just going to put that out there so that I don't have to worry about it. Yeah, we don't have to dance around too much. Yeah. um, We're going to have major spoilers in the back half of this episode, by the way. (laughs) Everything everything that was in those episodes, for the most part, has its origins and its existence solely in The Mandalorian. And so it was a little unsettling for some people that, like, all right, we're not even telling seemingly not even telling Boba Fett's story but I just keep going back to the idea that there is this larger plan of these shows coming together Boba Fett Mandalorian Ahsoka all of these are going to come together into one big event um Mm -hmm. and so I think that they they are doing it intentionally to let us know these are not different stories they're the same story from different angles and that's going to be really yeah. important. I think that's a pretty that's a pretty fair assessment. The different angle approach. I mean, and that's kind of the fun of it is to see how different people and characters in, in, handle very similar situations. Some are going to handle it well, and some are going to handle it poorly. And that's kind of what makes it interesting. So then you can kind of dissect those things and say, all right, what makes this person make that decision? Like, why did they choose this when somebody else chose that? It's like, well, if we take that character story in totality, we start to understand better. It's like people who I've seen complaints of like, we still don't know Boba Fett's motivation. If you're not sure of his motivation, I might suggest you go back and watch the first two, three episodes again. Cause again, the poor guy was taken in 
by this you know desert dwelling tribe of people and and he ha- he found a family it's literally found family and yeah. then it was taken from him and so he what he wants to do is protect the rest of the people around him so they don't go through the same experience like the man's getting too old to be out there hunting things again we'll talk about this more later um i don't want to get terribly deep into it because then i'm not gonna have anything to say later on but I really feel like if you're not taking the whole story into account, you are looking, you're not even just missing the forest for the trees. You're just looking at twigs and stuff and and thinking that's all that this forest is made of. And that's just not fair to the rest of the story. Never mind. The story's not complete. Nobody reads 80% of the book and says, this doesn't make any sense. Like you got to wait till you get the whole thing together. And then you'll be able to start to really dissect it and understand what happened. Uh, I don't know. Star Wars fans do that. Well, no, (sighs) Our people have a problem of always looking to the future when the future is always in motion, but very limited amount of time is there spent introspectively looking at the past and figuring out where we have come from in order to better understand where we are and where we're going. That's just my diagnosis. But what do I know? Yeah, um, I'm still a fan of Visions. I'm going to go watch Visions again because it's one of my favorite things in the world. And the twins is the best episode of that entire saga. And I will fight for that. (laughs) You will be fighting a losing battle, but that's not here nor there. Um, What is, is uh, guys. Hmm. Well, before you do that, have you been Star Warsing anything interesting lately? Uh, Yeah, it's called Luke and Ahsoka on the (laughs) same freaking screen are you kidding me this would be that some of those spoiler warnings we warned you about so are you kidding me i gasped i squealed i literally (laughs) could not function as a human being for a solid like five minutes after that happened oh that's adorable i think the last time like star wars did me dirty like that was the end of rebels with Kanan like wow that shook me hardcore I've talked about it before how I was just messed up for the whole day this was like yeah. the reverse you could have shot me in like the foot and I would have been like <laughs> that's all right I can still hop back to the TV and see Ahsoka <laughs> and Luke on the same screen at the oh, same no. time like it's one thing when I'm like okay cool they're in the same episode no way they like actually have them have a conversation they did Oh, and they mentioned Anakin. <laughs> a f- a I, friend of the family? Yeah, I would say she's a friend of the family. Oh, dear. And Ahsoka. When, when that conversation went down, I wondered if you would be disappointed that Anakin was not actually name-checked and the, just kind of referring to him, you know, just like your father. Did that strike any kind Was there any kind of like, man, I really wish she had said, said it differently? Or, no, or do you think it's not that even a little. It sat well with you, okay? It did, because it's what you would say. Like, you wouldn't, I mean, maybe replace father with dad, but, like, my dad's name is Brian. People aren't like, oh, you're just like Brian. They're like, oh, you're just like your dad, right? That's a good point, okay. Uh, And just in the context of this universe, like, Vader said, I am your father, so traditionally it's been like, you know, he's Luke's father, not Luke's dad, you know, unless you're Mark Hamill and he's dad Vader. Um, (laughs) But, yeah, I... Absolutely loved it. The whole friend of the family thing, too. Like, that slaps. It just... I mean, honestly, I don't know that I could have asked for anything more. Save for Ashley Eckstein being involved in some way, shape, Mm. or form. I've said my piece on that. I'm forever salty about it. 
but here we are. Rosario Dawson did a great job. I think she's really um, starting to figure out the character. It seems like, I don't know where this was filmed in relationship to other Ahsoka things that she has done between photo shoots and um, the episode of The Mandalorian and whatever may be happening with Ahsoka right now, but she really seemed to be comfortable in that character. Uh, And then on top of that, how amazing that Luke looked. Um, Yeah, they really figured it out, I think. They really did. I completely forgot. I thought it was just a, a human. Like I honestly, yes, I was having that. I was like, did they just hire an actor that looks uncannily like Luke, you know, uh, like Mark Hamill? But, um, you know, Lucasfilm brought in that that deep fake artist, the YouTube deep fake artist. No, 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 no. You're not allowed to say that because I was the one who brought that up to us in the text group, okay? (laughs) It was my little moment of I knew things. Well, I mean, I had like 27 text messages at one point that I had to yeah, read through. Yeah, but really, which is more so. important, ours or like, you know, anyone else's? No, it was 27 text messages from you guys. Oh, yeah, that's true. That's true. It blew <laughs> I up. I think at one point, like I was at like 38 text messages and I'm just like scrolling like 12 of them were like, <laughs> Mark liked a message. Um, <laughs> yeah, I hate when my phone does that. Uh, it's so annoying. Um, it's not Mark's fault. It's Drew's fault for having an Android wow. and ruining it for everybody. Wow. Went wow. there. Okay. Went there. It's, it's call people to the carpet time. Okay. That's cool. That's cool. As you said that. before the show, this is not agreeing sabers. This is clashing sabers. <laughs> we're not arguing the fact that I have a, an Android phone. No, there is no argument about it. You're just wrong. But I wow. will give you a chance to say your piece uh, about what, what did you think about uh, the Luke, Ahsoka, Grogu, like all of that. Give us your 10,000 um, foot view. I, I would always like more of that story. That that was definitely a very interesting portion of the episode that I don't know that um, we got quite enough. Which is which is which is good because it it did its job of kind of setting up some of the characters and their relationships and their actions and whatnot. That's fine. I'm interested to see if this is going to have any kind of impact in the net in the finale to Boba Fett's season one. I kind of doubt it. It's probably more teeing up the fourth season of the Mandalorian, which is fine. Um, but I, I'm trying to level set some expectations of my own to say that this is not something likely to be revisited anytime soon. I feel like the team has a, a history and a habit of having these very interesting and thought provoking moments that aren't really carried forward. They're just there to be celebrated in the moment and experienced in that particular moment. And then they're just kind of going to move on from that. Um, I don't know that this really sets up the Ahsoka show any more than her episode in the second season of Mandalorian did. I don't feel like it did any more uh, adding to what to expect to that, especially since at the end, the two characters separated. You know, she takes off somehow. Uh, Be interesting to know what ship she's flying. But I think it's fine for what it is. I was a little disappointed in Luke's uh, Sophie's Choice moment there at the end where he's establishing, you know, I want you, Grogu, to decide your future, even though you're basically a five-year-old. And it was interesting because even my kids who watched the episode the exact same day thought the same thing. They were like, how's he supposed to pick? Like, is he supposed to be a Jedi or does he want to be a Mandalorian? Does he want to go back to Mando? And even they were kind of conf- confused about why Luke would set that choice up for him. 
And I think that it's not so much about... This is, this is a hard thing for me to parse. It's not that the storytelling was excited about that choice. I think it's more about they need to make sure Luke's character is on the trajectory he needs to be on to end up where he ends up in the actual sequel trilogy movies. But I'm concerned about the way in which that was done, especially when Luke himself was, especially like the decision to forego all Jedi training and forsake that life forever. If you choose the Mandalorian armor kind of, goes back to like when Luke chose to put his his training on pause on Dagobah to go and save his friends in Cloud City. Did he pay a price for that? Yes. Did it affect his training? Yes. But did it ultimately separate him from the path of the Jedi? No, not at all. In fact, it was a required step he had to take. I mean, Yoda says he had to go confront Vader. He has to go confront Vader to finish his training. So there was a moment in which that deviation from the training path was required for Luke. So why is he now imposing some kind of ultimatum that he knows he himself was able to not necessarily sidestep, but find that third way? You know, we've talked so many times about in Return of the Jedi where he finds the third path. He doesn't lose to Vader. He doesn't defeat Vader and take, take his place with the Emperor. He chooses not to fight. He finds that third path. And that's kind of been, you know, what we've held up as the pinnacle of Jedi philosophy, right? I mean, we've talked about that how many times? Oh. Every time you talk about caves, it's, yeah. it's where we land. So why is he setting up this you know, binary option system by which he must, you know, Grogu must uh, fully endorse one particular path and forsake the other? Now, having said all that, perhaps Luke is forcing him to think about that third option. And even my kids were like, what if he took you know, both of them? Then he'd be like the ultimate Jedi and the ultimate Mandalorian in one. I was like, that may be what he wants to do. Like That may be something that's used in the future by the storytelling group. And that would be really exciting in order to continue to prove that point of the third way may be the best option. So I think that's the direction it's going, um, especially having the Darksaber and the mention that you know, it was made by yeah. a Mandalorian Jedi. Um, I like think there's so many other things like that, which re- include both the duality of those different tenets of, I don't want to say religion, but, uh, but I need a new word because it's not a cult. It's not a religion. <laughs> What's a philosophy. Kind of, okay, sure. Um, yeah. We'll go with that for now. But kind of like exactly like the Mandalore, you know, Mandalore himself, the Mandalore the Great, I think, is the title that he's given, who was the first Jedi and Mandalorian in one, perhaps Grogu is the second coming thereof, something like that. Yeah. But doesn't that feel like an awful long game to play, knowing that Grogu is like a child at this point? I mean, this is something they'd have to set up for decades and like for for years and years and years down the road to come to fruition. And I feel like that is a long game Star Wars is not good at, has not tried yet, and I would be really concerned if that's the way they want to go with it. I I think there's ways to do it, uh, you know, time jumps and things like that. It depends on what is in the works that we don't know about that. Um, yeah. I, I, I think at this point, if Favreau and Filoni are doing it, it's a pretty safe bet that it's going to happen. This isn't a, a movie situation where it's like, oh, we got this director. Never mind. Uh, yeah, there's if, a lot. of See, that's also the problem is that long-term planning has not been Star Wars production team's uh, strongest suit in the most yeah, recent years. Yeah, yeah. not super great at that, guys. But <laughs> I, I, think, I think there definitely is a third way. 
in order to find the third way, though, the binary has to exist. And I think for Luke at this time, like being a Jedi is his sole identifying factor. Um, and, and even even though he finds a third way in the second Death Star, he does say, I am a Jedi. Like he's not, I am a Jedi and also a rebel. Like he... Well. Yeah, but his 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 ascension to Jedi knighthood in that particular moment is what empowers him to find that third way. Like his overcoming of the bad cho- the two bad choices in front of him is what allows him to finally eclipse what he had been and become what he was meant to be kind of thing. So I feel like, you know, it, it's very difficult because we only have the first 5% of this of the 100% of the information we wish we had. But we don't even know how much other information is coming or when or if it's even written down in somebody's yellow legal pad. Because you know everybody in that team has a yellow legal pad that they're taking notes on. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And and I definitely think whether it is actually becoming Mandalorian and Jedi or not, uh, I I definitely think there there's a third way for Grogu. Like, yeah, I, I would hope so. It just it, I can absolutely see how the the way that conversation was left and the way that scene ended without a decision and with Grogu just being dazed and confused can really rub people the wrong way. And I feel like the longer we have to wait for the next step in that the worse it's going to feel. So I really hope that when season four, or sorry, season three of Mandalorian does kick in, we kind of get a little bit more to that that information. But uh, it's one of those only time will tell. So I guess stay tuned. I mean, we're going to talk about it here. That's for dang sure. But I, yep. I, I think it's a really odd choice if they have all this work to get him this this mandalorian we'll say armor uh little shirt thing which (laughs) his mithril coat yeah um and then also bring back yoda's lightsaber and not do something that's just going to be a a complete nutter game changer what was your emotional reaction when when luke brought out yoda's saber i i think it was i think it was really cool um i think it was compelling but I also was like, oh, my God, they're going to end it here. And that was kind of the all-consuming thought at the moment when I first watched it. Going back <laughs> on second watch, uh, I really liked – like, I, I'm i not on board with the big complaints of why would Luke give him this choice. I'm more like, yeah, absolutely Luke would give him this choice. Um, mm, that's That's what he would want somebody to give him. That's what he almost – do you think here here's here's my question. Do Go you think it. Obi-Wan gave him that choice? Interesting. Huh. Because I'm kind of 50-50 on it where he does say, you know, you must do what you think is best, but mm-hmm. also he's like you have to come to Alderaan with me. No, that's not exactly what no, th- that's not what that scene was doing. Because like, because the reason Obi-Wan needed Luke to go with him wasn't because Luke needed to do anything particular. It was because Obi-Wan was getting too old for this sort of stuff. Literally what he says is like, I can't do this anymore. I need help. 
And so it wasn't necessarily like you need to choose your own path, whether you're going to be a farm boy who goes to the academy or are you going to come with me and, you know, restart the entire Jedi Knight Order. I think it was much more practical than that. You know, the, the circumstances were very different where Obi-Wan was still wanted criminal, you know, he was still being hunted down and he was living a life of exile. And so being all flashy out in Alderaan was probably not a good idea. So I don't know if... I, I can't really imagine a scenario where that would have come up in Obi-Wan's training of Luke. Certainly not in like the 45 minutes they had known each other face-to-face in the film. But even after that, where we know that you know Luke went back to his hut and got Obi-Wan's journal, so he, could, you know, he went back there and that's where he built his, his green lightsaber. Um, the Forest Ghost visits were few and far between, but they certainly happened. I don't know a lot of what happens in the comic books, in that era anymore like that whole series that takes place in between the three classic films uh i I would be hard pressed to find a reason for obi-wan to try and give luke that much of a choice i feel like obi-wan's job was to get him started and get him to yoda and allow yoda to do all the heavy lifting so i'm not sure obi-wan was in a position where he could put luke in that position you know what i mean yeah, that's interesting. I had never thought about Obi-Wan basically just trying to get Luke to Yoda. Like I always I've always viewed it as Yoda was almost like Obi-Wan's backup plan, but thinking about it from yeah. that lens, it does make sense because he he knows very clearly on uh, on the Death Star that he's not Gonna see Luke again. Yeah, like he's never gonna person. get off of there. And also, the last time Obi Wan tried to train, tried to train a Skywalker, did not exactly go very well. You know, so he said he even admits to Luke, you know, I thought I could train him as well as Yoda, but I was wrong. Yeah. So I, I feel like Yoda or Obi Wan kind of gave up the teaching lifestyle, and he resigned. His, his commission there at the end of his days was just to look over Luke on Tatooine and keep him safe until such time as he was ready to be trained. Uh, and, and I feel like even if there was no Imperial action out in Tatooine that particular day, he would have gotten Luke to Dagobah at some, in some way, shape or form. Yeah. I, I, now I'm like consumed by the idea that like in the <laughs> Empire Strikes Back certain point of view, Yoda wants to train Leia and Obi-Wan convinces him to train Luke and I'm like, what would that have been like if Obi-Wan had brought him in person and been like, hey, here's Luke. And Yoda's like, mm, can, nah, we, can we talk over here? Um, <laughs> like, how awkward would that conversation have been? Yeah, he would just have Luke start making him soup. <laughs> he'd just kind of be like the live-in, and that would be all right. And he'd be like, uh, sister you have, uh, find her, why don't you? <laughs> sister you have, does that oh, story, man. Does that, I, haven't, I haven't read all the way through those certain point of view books, um, though I'm now I'm really interested to do. Does that conversation take place before or after Luke departs for Bespin? Because uh, Yoda ends that whole sequence with, you know, the, no, there is another. I'm going to have to go back and after, check it right? for sure, but it happens before in my recollection. Like, mm. Obi-Wan is basically, like, giving Yoda a heads up, like, hey, Luke's coming, and he's like, why? I don't want to train him. I've watched him. No. Ugh, he's the worst. Man. These Skywalker idiots. Yeah. Doesn't he have a pod racer he can go fix or something? Ugh. 
No, that's at Pelimato's place. I don't know what that means. She's the the one who had the N one Starfighter. Oh, her. oh, okay. Strangers with candy. Got it. All right. Well, uh, this has been the Clashing Sabers podcast, and uh, we will. Batch eight. See you later. <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, hi ho. Shoot, we had a new sign off. We were supposed to try one of these days, but I forget what it was. Or did I have that conversation in my mind one day? Uh, we had a conversation about having a new closing, but we didn't. Okay. But it- <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to our on-air production meeting. Yeah, glad you could join us. Um, yes. If you have a new sign-off, that might make a little better sense to the four of us who remember what part of Star Wars it's from. You know, tweet at Brandon at Clashing Sabers. Because <laughs> I <sighs> like it, personally. Again, four of us know what it means, but that's okay with me. I, I, I'm, I'm a fan, but that's neither here nor there because <laughs> we know I'm very easy to please. Uh, should we, should we get into that one there? Yeah, probably a good idea. Yep. Just going to look at it on the floor. There it is. That's it's, great. it's right there. Walk around it. Just put a little like caution sign right there. And- nah, it's like that scene in Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse where, where Miles is laying on the ground and people are just stepping directly over me. He's like, okay, thanks, New York. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh man, God, I that's love a good that movie. movie. Do you, you so want to go good. watch Into the Spider Verse right now? Because that's pretty much one of my favorite movies. Yeah, let's go. Let's go do that. Forget right, this that. Star we'll, Wars thing. We'll come back to the back half of the show in, just, in like an hour and a half. Whatever fat is paying you will match, and all you've got to do is stay put and let things play out. I'm sorry, I didn't catch your name. Is that friendly advice or a threat? Boba Fett is a cold-blooded killer who worked for the Empire. You should have never given up your armor. All right, uh, it is time to get into our topic today, which with Book of Boba Fett happening and and Book of Mandalorian as an interlude, we decided we're going to talk about some some bounty hunters. And... uh, we're going to go back to our, our good old-fashioned top three, bottom three, best in butts. Yes. Finally. Feels good. Oh, and, and those ranking muscles. I have to tell you, Drew, this was a hard list for me to make in mm. both directions. Because Interesting. I am not a big pro or anti-bounty hunter person. Like, okay. I've never been like, oh my God, the bounty hunters. But I also don't... <laughs> I'm not rolling my eyes when we have bounty hunter stories. You know what I mean? Like, uh, I think everybody knows. Start Start rolling my eyes at them? We're going to talk about it. Just keep going. Okay. Well, no, I think that's a perfect place to start. Uh, Before we do, though, I will just let everybody know that we, uh, when we're going through these, we have three uh, that we either don't like, uh, don't think don't doesn't work uh or could be improved anything of that nature and then we get into our our best of so drew i feel like i should let you start now with your uh your bottom number three 
So here's the issue I have with with the bounty hunters. It's one of the top per, it's one of the uh, uh, top employment opportunities in the Star Wars universe, and doesn't have a lot of competition. Like it seems like most people are either a bounty hunter or a pilot, and if you're not one of those two things, you don't matter and don't have a job. So I feel like it's become kind of a crutch and an easy way for writers and creators to make a character who's not part of an army, whether Republic or Empire or whatever, but still have a chance to use guns. Like, it seems like that's the only way we can slot a character into that who does not fit into one of the two existing governmental factions. So it started out interesting. Like, I would say, you know, started out that meaning 1977. When you would kind of see it, and Empire Strikes Back was very interesting. When you had, you know, four or five of them standing on the the, uh, the bridge of the Executor, uh, taking orders from Darth Vader, and then it kind of got ridiculous in Jabba's Palace, where every single person in there is a drug dealer and a bounty hunter at the same time. One of the rolling jokes in that era was every single character in Jabba's Palace was both a bounty hunter and plotting to kill Jabba at some point in their life. So it, it became kind of this joke how everybody on screen and everybody you met who wasn't a Jedi, wasn't a pilot, wasn't an Imperial, was a bounty hunter. So it just kind of felt a little ridiculous. And I'm going to say, so my number three, to kind of put a, a button on it, is Aura Singh with an asterisk. Now, part of the reason Aura Singh makes the list here is one of my least favorite ones is because of the way in which her character was kind of promoted as the new Boba Fett. And then really, they didn't do much more than show them, show the character in like one particular scene facing away from the camera. No lines, no nothing. At least Boba Fett had lines in Empire Strikes Back. So, you know, he got to do a little bit more than she did. And then there was really no development of the character for a long, long time. Now, here's the asterisk. The Clone Wars cartoon series did a pretty good job of making her an interesting character. The things that they let her do and, and kind of the adventures that she got to go on was pretty good. So she's not the worst example of a bounty hunter, but I think it's kind of the exception that proves the rule. She didn't have to be a bounty hunter back in Phantom Menace, you know, back when we first were introduced to the character. She could have been anything else, but that was kind of what they sold her on in order to tie her to Boba Fett. And when they're doing that, they're trying to attach his level of mystique to a brand new character. And I just don't think that was a good idea. You know, I don't know. It's probably just a factor of the episode one promotional ideas. Not the best ideas in the world. I'm not sure who thought Rick O'Lee was going to be like one of the leading characters they should create a, an action figure for. And we're really going to promote the movie around him. I would go back and rethink that decision, guys. And I think this is just another one of those kinds of things. So, again, she ends up being a much more interesting character as time goes on. But I feel like it started off in such a rough spot. The only place to go was going to be up. I will reserve comment on Ara Singh uh, for the time being. Sans to say, I disagree with you. Wow. Okay. My number three is a professional who is not very good at his job, and it is Uh Moralo Ival. Okay, okay. Who is that? (laughs) I was waiting for that. So this is the character uh, from the Clone Wars in, I I guess it's referred to as the Bounty Hunter's arc. I don't really know. Um, I remember that being a thing. But where Obi-Wan basically disguises himself as... A bounty hunter. Uh, he goes through that like fake Wasn't this death. A box? Yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, fake death, and then he becomes a bounty hunter, and he goes off with Cad Bane. And there's this Moralo Eval uh, character who is—I mean, he's just the worst. Like 
part of being a bounty hunter is having confidence in your ability without hitting arrogance. I think that's something that like we're finding out with Boba Fett is he knows he's good, but he doesn't need to tell you he's good. Right. Um, I kind of, you get the same vibes with, uh, with Din in, you know, that, especially that first episode of Mandalorian. Yeah. Where like, it's like a, a, a great fighter, you know, or, or even somebody, let's, let's talk real life. You know, the people that run their mouths a lot are usually not the ones that are actually able to follow through on what they're doing. But the people that know that they can kick your ass don't ever need to say that they can kick your ass. It's just <laughs> they know it, and so therefore they never have to do it. Moralo Eval talks a big game and does not back it up at all. Interesting. Um, he just hit arrogance and kept running past the line. He puts all this work into the box and this plan to, you know, kidnap Palpatine, all this stuff. And it seems like really impressive until you find out like the whole time he's being played. And basically none of it was actually any of his ideas. He was totally just a pawn for Dooku. And on top of that, like tries to act like he's on the level of Cad Bane and uh, even Rocco Hardeen, who, you know at the time, had the reputation for killing a Jedi, which, you know, is a big deal during the Clone Wars era. You know, that's at least the narrative that's going around. Moralo Eval just is this guy that, like, is in jail and then doesn't realize (laughs) that he's just being moved around by the people who are actually in power. And that just, ugh. Great character. He does what he's supposed to do. He does his job. Terrible bounty hunter. <laughs> terrible person. Terrible bounty hunter. <laughs> so uh, that is that is all I have to say about that, and I'll let you go with your number two. Okay, my number two has less to do about the character in particular, but what they actually represent. Um, how much do you know about Cade Skywalker? I know that uh, Cade Skywalker is a character in a <laughs> Star War. Isn't he like he's like hundreds of years post like Return of the Jedi? One hundred and thirty-seven, uh, to be precise. Yeah. Okay, so not hundreds, so, hundred. Not hundred. Yeah, exactly. So a little bit more like the distance between from High Republic to the actual movies, equidistant out um, in the old canon. Uh, a descendant of the Skywalker family, but one who rejects its particular path, has no interest in being a Jedi when you first meet him. So he takes up what other profession? The bounty hunting. Uh, again, if we're talking about really kind of, I don't really like using the term lazy writing because we've talked to writers on this show and, and it's always a privilege to do so, but I, I would have a lot of questions about how his particular story was developed and thought out. So really only, um, I'm trying to think of like the name of the comic series is completely blanked out. I mean, I didn't put it in my notes, but he, the character himself is kind of like that proto 90s grunge kind of character, like the archetypal, exactly what you think of when you think of like the 90s, early 2000s, I'm too cool for school kind of character. And it just went downhill from there. There's not a lot of redeeming qualities about him. Uh, he's, he's 
very relatively bland there are interesting conversations he has with luke's spirit at that point which is kind of interesting because at that time we didn't know how luke died and in that timeline we still never really got that answer but he's just not that interesting and they wanted to make him interesting they wanted to make him edgy and cool and you know he would be the kind of guy who like you know i can't even like what's straight edge that's the thing they used to call themselves back in that particular day so he's not a goth but he was much more the straight edge crowd um so not a guy anybody would ever want to spend time with and he was just a poor excuse for a bounty hunter he was more like a summer internship he probably did than actually capture any particular bounties yeah um just looking just googling kate skywalker and immediately (laughs) i'm like it's not a happy thing no it's really not um one of the more ridiculous storylines that I think we we can be glad that Legends did away with, or was done away with in the Legends purge. Like I, I I get you know people's attachment to it and stuff like that, but oh I, I f- don't. I've read most of it. I don't. I love parts of it. There's a no, lot no, of no, stuff no, that no. I love, but man, oh man, I I get the attachment to it because mm. people grew up with it. I don't get the people who are like, yeah, Legends was great because. Yeah, unironic appreciation of it is the worst kind of appreciation. Singing of it. velociraptors is all I have to say <laughs> about that. And that's not nearly the worst example of odd things that happen in those books and comics. There's a lot of good. There's a lot of fun. I don't know that you ever had the thematic investment in those stories that we're getting these days. Yeah. And if anything, that is such an improvement that I, I, I'm very thankful for a lot more of the focus now. And I think that that line, I really, you got to help me find out the, co- the name of that comic series. If an item does not appear in our records, it does not exist. So the Star Wars Legacy comics, that's the name of them. Um, so you're looking at 2006 or so is about when they started their production run. And they ran for a, a, a while. So it's not, you know... It's definitely something that got time, attention, and investment, which is more than a lot of the other storylines in the Legends or universe can 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 claim to. But again, this was kind of peak. We don't know what to do with these characters, so in order to make them interesting, we're going to make them bounty hunters. And this really just became a crutch that I think a lot of the creativity came to rest on. You know, the new canon, and we'll talk about this later on because I have, I have some a couple questions about like ethics and ideals that the bounty hunters may or may not adhere to. There was nothing that interesting that they wanted these guys to ask questions of themselves in that particular time. And Cade here is kind of the ideal issue and the poster boy for these kind of problems. Well, speaking of legends and weird things and characters that are bounty hunters, even though it makes zero sense, I present to you my number two, IG-88. Stop! No. Yes. IG-88 What looks, is your problem with IG-88? Looks cool. Yes. Does nothing. Wrong again. No. He does nothing. And if you're going to bring to me, right after making the <laughs> argument that Legend is trash, <laughs> that the story of multiple IG-88s that eventually take over the Death Star yep. is a good storyline. I don't think you're going to hear me argue it's, quote, good. But I'm going to make a certain argument about that in a couple of minutes, yeah. Okay. Here's the thing. A- ever since I was a kid, a robot bounty hunter just made no sense to me. Like, what? they don't need the money. They're a droid. They don't need food. They don't need water. 
really, after K2SO, we know they don't even need a place to live because they can just survive in the vacuum of space. <laughs> space. So they're not <laughs> loyal to a person. Like, this this IG-88 is not loyal to a person in the way that 3PO or R2 is. They don't serve an entity like an Imperial security droid. So what what what's the point? They don't make any sense. Now... The the type of droid, the IG droid, we get like super a, cool. It's super cool. We get it in we get uh there's I can't remember the episode of Clone Wars or maybe I it's Rebels. It's a, mm, where I think it's in Clone Wars, there's a box of like seventy twos, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um and and like the droid itself is cool. Mandalorian made the idea of IG eight eight somewhat more compelling. I still don't know what the motivation is but they do have that uh line about the merit uh points or whatever it is and so i'm like okay well that is a motivation maybe it's like a game to them almost but then why do we even have real bounty hunters if they're out here you know just slaying stuff so the motivations of ig88 i mean i'm saying this about a character that's literally on screen for all of five seconds but to me, what their motivation could be just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. The idea becomes a lot more compelling through The Mandalorian. IG-11 in The Mandalorian is absolutely phenomenal. But the most compelling stuff with that character is not when it's a bounty hunter. It's when it's a nurse droid. So that goes back to the idea that the droid is cool. And the things that the droid can do are cool. But to your point from before... They just made it a bounty hunter because, well, what else does it do? See, this is where I'm going to use that particular particular rule that I established and break it because I think it's fantastic that a droid is a bounty hunter. Uh, 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 and the way I'm going to justify that is as soon as I think about it in my head, hang on a second, I can figure it out. Representation matters. How about that, Brandon? You don't mm. have to be a sentient in order to be a bounty mm. hunter. Stop gatekeeping people about their de- ideals and their dreams. That's Why a, you gotta be holding people back, Brandon? Mm, droids, but <laughs> droids are people too. It's a really hard <laughs> argument either way because Star Wars really doesn't give us an answer. No, it's really bad about addressing some very sketchy ethical problems that we may or may not have about these characters. But that's yeah. kind of what I like about IG-88. And there's four of them. There's A, B, C, and D. And you do see IG-88B again. Do you know where you see him besides on the, the Star Destroyer, Super Star Destroyer? On Tatooine? Nope. Close. His body is actually in the incinerator scene on Cloud City. Because he actually beats Boba Fett to Cloud City, but Boba Fett takes him out. And so when the Ugnaughts are tossing around... Oh, I did notice that this last time watching. You see him, you see his uh, dismantled body laying beside the, uh, beside the uh, uh, incinerator there. But yeah, then the other, they they bond together and take over the Death Star. How cool is that? Can anybody else say they took over the Death Star? No. On a scale of one to zero, uh, it's a a negative five. I don't know what you're talking about, honestly. But uh, IG-88 is my number three favorite, <laughs> so we're just gonna have to hash this out right now. It's no, no, so no! It's much fun. Oh, save it, save it, save it, save it. You, you have to do your number one because I held on on Aura Sing. So, okay, okay, okay. Uh, what do I have left? Are we talking about the number one least favorite bounty hunter? Yes, of all your time? least favorite or worst <laughs> bounty hunter. Listen, I don't like bringing this series up, but Mercurial Swift from the Aftermath books, is downright bad. Wow, okay. okay. 
it's yeah. bad. It, it's 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 not just guilty by association because it's in that series. He's in that series of books, but you know what? It ain't helping. Um, I don't like talking about these books, and as I have said in the past, uh, they're not my favorite by a long shot. And Mercurial Swift might be the worst Star Wars name I can think of, and that's including Elan Slays Bagano. And here's the problem: I get why it's bad. Like, it's uh, the character's real name is not Mercurial Swift. Of course, did I write down the real name? No. But am I going to look it up? No, because I don't want that Wikipedia article to get any more hits from me. I've already looked at it enough. It's not okay. I do not appreciate this character. It is a lame character. They do lame things. They're not even cool enough for Dengar to agree to work for them. That's how lame Mercurial Swift is. Dengar said, "Thanks, no thanks." Okay. And Dengar wears a diaper on his head. Dengar is almost, I thought about Dengar a lot because why do I not like that character at all? I don't have a good reason why I don't like Dengar. Like, he doesn't do anything, but he also doesn't do anything. You know what I mean? Like, there's nothing offensive about him, but there's nothing endearing about him to me either. Like, there's so many other cooler bounty hunters and they have cooler ships than him. His ship name is called The Punishing One. Well, I'm pretty sure we have The Punisher in a different series of comics and things, and it's just not going to work out if you're going to try and copy Frank Castle. So I don't think that's an acceptable thing to be proud of. But ig eighty eight ship was called the IG-2000, and it's awesome. It's got this giant nose in the front and these wings that expand outside. Of it. We're talking, well, we're he, just going to go ahead and skip your number one because I, I can imagine it's offensive anyway. Well, no, 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 no. cool, and you don't know what's good in life anymore. As, it, as far as it concerns Dengar, I would like to note that Dengar almost made my list of bottom three. Right. But, Same. But there is in uh, the Star Wars mainline of comics, there's a really cool fight scene between Dengar and Chewie. And Dengar gets beat, but more or less holds his own for a minute. So. Really? It's the one I mean, thing, eh. when you compare it to Moralo Eval just being the worst, <laughs> and then IG-88 just being confusing. Confusing is not it the same make thing the as bad, though. Like, I think you should, you should but, go back but, and take some appreciation of the IG-88. Here's the thing. The bottom threes aren't always that they're bad. It's that they could That's be true. improved, the right? Moralo Eval is a great character because he's a terrible bounty hunter. <laughs> IG-88 is not necessarily a terrible bounty hunter. I don't think we have enough to say that one way or the other, but he is a confusing character. My number one, however, that's called a segue, Drew. That's what we do in the radio world. Toro Calican. Is the guy from Mandalorian? He is the guy from Mandalorian. Hmm. Here's the thing. He well, is bad at his job, yeah. He gets a lot of hate as a character. Which he deserves, because that's his role in the story. Exactly. I didn't have a problem with the execution. Uh, I think he, like one Mace Windu, serves his intended purpose. He's be real careful be. about your comparison of the, this guy to Mace Windu, because Mace Windu does his job. Right, but as a character, <laughs> Mace Windu's job is to frustrate the audience, no, as is Toro yeah, Calican. Okay, fine, I'll let you have it for the moment. Fine. He's foolish, he's naive, he doesn't do his research, and the more we learn about Fennec Shand, the more obvious uh, that becomes. <laughs> like, literally, dude, just like... A simple Google search would have saved his life. Literally would have saved his life, and also, like, maybe just, you know, if you 
are trying to kill somebody who could easily kill you, maybe make sure they're dead. Um, <laughs> he just skipped the confidence stage altogether, right into arrogance, didn't cross-go, didn't collect $200, and uh, he makes number one because he threatened Baby Yoda, and for that alone, he deserved to die. Aww. Thank you for coming well. to my TED Talk. I will not be taking questions at this time. <laughs> Oh, well, yeah, okay. That's a good pull. I think I can agree with you on him because he is, like you said, a scumbag character, and he's also really bad at his job. So I guess that really does take the top spot. That makes good sense to me. What is your number three bounty hunter, and why is it? It's AG-88. So much fun. Mm. Like I don't understand how you can, like, not enjoy the, the maniacal. It's like if Chopper meant to be evil, you know? Like, Chopper is evil, but incidental. He's kind of good-natured at his, his little penny and processors. He means well, but he's, like, devious and whatnot. IG-88 means to be a villain. Like, when he gained sentience, that was his role. He's like, oh, I can kill things now whenever I want. Because he was an assassin droid. That was part of what he was programmed to do. But then when he decided, or when he learned that he could de- decide who to kill for himself, like, he really leaned into that. And then I guess when he decided he could make money off of it, which, again, you know, raises odd questions. I'll give you that. But I don't think that should disqualify him from being a great character and a lot of fun. You know? He's used as an interesting bad guy ever in video games and whatnot. So is a compelling and, and kind of threatening character in a lot of those entries, specifically the Shadows of the Empire series, um, which I th- still think about was and think was a lot of fun to play. I don't really like endorsing the video gameization of Star Wars, as I'm building my thesis on how the gamification of Star Wars is really one of the worst things that could possibly happen to the series as a whole. But IG-88 is just fun. Like, it's part of that fun aspect of like, yeah, don't ask too many questions. Just go along for the ride. Kind of like the first time you see Star Wars ever, and you're like, why is that man walking around with an eight-foot-tall dog? Yeah, don't ask too many questions. It's just fun. That's kind of one of the reasons I like it. Like, they built him out of spare parts because they had extra room on the bridge set for the movie that they were filming they're like let's do one more and they like started disassembling stuff and made a robot i mean that's inventive that's creative who's gonna hate creativity brandon hates creativity when it's bad creativity wow that's not acceptable at all you want to know bad a bad take about a bounty hunter Uh uh-oh is you not liking aura singh okay tell me why aura singh is an interesting character you literally said it in your assessment of why she was not a good character. And it's the stuff <laughs> that she does in the Clone Wars. Like, I think I put an asterisk on my description. Did I not? Yeah. Well, your asterisk should have been, actually, Brandon's right. Because uh. the stuff that she does with young Boba that would shape him into the cold-blooded killing machine that he becomes blah, blah 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 is that is so compelling and it is some of the most underrated work in clone wars and i think as we're getting the book of boba fett and we're seeing the trauma uh that he has to deal with as a result of essentially being raised by aura singh as a killing machine is extremely powerful <sighs> okay side he note to be a killing machine i mean he was He's literally the clone of another bounty hunter, and he spent his, his most formative 10 years of life you know, attached to him at the hip. You're really going to credit more of who Boba Fett grows up to be to Aura Singh than Django Fett? You comfortable with that? 
I am because I think Django Fett shaped him into being a machine. I don't think Django was out just killing. Aura Singh is more at fault for the cold-bloodedness of Boba Fett because she preys upon that vulnerability and that anger in a in a way that is not exactly the same but is similar to the way that Palpatine plays on Anakin's angers and frustrations like he's like yes it's justified you should want revenge you should want to tear down the whole republic and even when Boba is like maybe we shouldn't be like killing prisoners and she's like nah fam and shoots clones like just right there like you think that that doesn't have an impact on him? More, I mean, well, I, uh, I mean, he watches his father try and shoot down Obi Wan Kenobi in the asteroid belt above Geonosis. He's literally screaming fire, fire! So, I mean, it's not exactly like this kid was, you know, a loving, welcoming, warm human being before you know Orison came along. I don't know. I'll let you have it if you promise to like revisit this anti IG 88 hate that is dwelling so deep and dark within your heart. Like if you can find room in there for a glimmer of sunshine on my good little robot boy, then I'll let you keep the former Jedi Padawan or a saying turned to Jedi hunter. Uh, that would be a Saj Ventress, but no, she or saying was a, a Padawan at one point. Okay. I'm going to Wikipedia that while you give your, <laughs> <laughs> all right you you're your next one uh your number two number two and this is not because just because he happened to appear on screen pretty recently but i've been a pretty big fan of cad bane for a while um cad bane's my number two because he's really good at his job and he is a fascinating character to watch um, I love the style that he has been given. I love his uh, Western cowboy, uh, outlaw Josie Wales kind of vibe. Um, I, I think that's a fantastic design element. I love that he's a Duros and and not just another pathetic human sentient creature. Uh, that makes him interesting. He stands out in a crowd. He was one of my favorite characters in the entire Clone Wars series. I think that using him as a character was really exciting. And so every time he gets to come back, I was always, I've always been very happy with his activities. And now again, if you haven't seen book of Boba Fett by now, you're probably not even listening to this episode. You should be watching that show. We finally get his live action debut. Uh, and it was great. It was perfect. Uh, it was fantastic. He strolls in as a heat m- mirage, this vision of, of something terrifying in the, in the wilderness and the blinding twin sons of Tatooine. He comes sauntering out in a full duster, uh, dirty and grimy and dry and just absolutely there for exactly what he wants to be doing. It seems he has turned from less bounty hunting in his uh, sunset years into more strictly gun for hire. But you know what? I'm okay with that. I'm willing to allow it. Man wanted a little career change. I don't blame him. And so I think that I don't know. I don't think that he will be used to a large degree going forward. I feel like we'll see him in the finale of Boba Fett, and that's probably going to be the last time we see him. I'm hoping he survives it, but I'm not really putting a whole lot of money that he walks out on his own accord. That's for sure. I think it was interesting that he tried to talk Cobb Vanth down from working with Boba Fett by 
by deriding Boba Fett's past employment with the Empire when he, Cad Bane himself, had worked for the Empire under contract. So <laughs> that was pretty great. A little bit of uh, only giving the information that he wants his victims to know instead of the full story. I think he's a great character, and I hope we get to see more of him, though I wouldn't be too surprised if we don't. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to have uh, have more to say on Cad Bane in a couple minutes. But I oh, will, interesting. I will just say that um, if you are amongst the people that are complaining about Cad Bane's skin being a little bit lighter <sighs> in live action than animation, you need to go home and rethink your life. I'm just over that kind of like, oh, yeah. he doesn't look the way we want him to look. Just stop. <laughs> just stop setting your expectations 18 miles into the atmosphere and just enjoy what people provide. And like, I don't understand yeah. why our, like, the Star Wars culture has such a problem with the way things are done for things that they allegedly love. Does he look exactly like the cartoon? Nah. Neither does Count Dooku. Are we going to go back and redo yeah. the prequel movies so that he looks like his cartoon equivalent? No. He looks more like, oh, man, who was the Duros in the original cantina back in A New Hope? I well, had I, his name in my head. Yeah, I don't remember When I started name. this sentence. <laughs> no, but I mean, he, yeah, he looks awesome. Um, I think it's a little very off-putting. Like, it's not the normal facial structure of a human, but I feel like it's a human with a mask and then some CGI work done on top of it. Um, as opposed to the Mouth of Sauron character from Return of the King. Now, I know you finally sat down and watched the Lord of the Rings movies, but I don't remember off the top of my head. Did you watch the extended cuts or did you watch the theatrical cuts? I have no idea. You have no idea. On your computer, I need you to Google the phrase Mouth of Sauron, S-A-U-R-O-N, and look at the beautiful character that will grace your screen in about three seconds. Because that's exactly what I thought of when I saw Cad Bane uh, in, in this episode of The Book of Boba Fett. Um, there's something just wrong with them. And that's kind of the point. What, it's one what of the, the crazy things. This is this, You see the Mouth of Sauron? Yeah, why? <laughs> so when Aragorn, Aragorn takes the company to go face uh, all of uh, Mordor and they storm the gates, this is the first character that comes out and he basically gives them a chance to uh, give up. He basically, he comes out there and says, look, we already caught, you know, the, the, the halfling and he throws down the mithril coat. And so they're like, we've already got Frodo. We've got the ring. What are you fighting against? But the way they created this character was they filmed it and then you see how he's got this helmet on, you know, covering the majority of his head, but there's something wrong with his mouth. They digitally enlarged the dude's jaw, the actor. Like, like that is 25% bigger than it should be. So it's so unsettling, and there's just something wrong with him. And that's the vibe I got from Cad Bane, and I'm okay with that. Like, that's kind of one of the fun things about him is he's not a nice person. He's not a good person at all. And you should be a little afraid of him. And that's something we don't always get in star Wars villains. Very often they end up being more general grievous E, which I love general grievous, but no one's afraid of him. You know what I mean? And, but Cad Bane is, is definitely going to haunt the nightmares of, of younger, more susceptible viewers. And that's pretty neat. That's pretty daring and bold. And I, I'm all for it. That's yeah. right. I'm all for nightmares. <laughs> sounds sounds very on brand. I'm not going to lie. It really should be. But that's enough about, I think we're going to talk, you said we'll talk more about him in a moment. What is your 
number two favorite of the bounty hunters. My fav- my second favorite is Asajj Ventress. Mm. And I was tempted to not put her on this list because she is only a bounty hunter for a short time. Yeah. But I find that time in her life to be one of the more intriguing aspects of her story because is, it really is shows. Dark, is this a Dark Disciple era? Uh, No, Dark Disciple era is more post her really being a bounty hunter. Oh. Uh, that's kind of on the tail end where she, I think at the beginning of the book, she's maybe like closing out her bounty hunter career. But oh, interesting. I think that this kind of actually touches on one of the points that you were making earlier of when you don't know what to do with a character, they just become a bounty hunter. In universe, she doesn't really know what to do with herself, so she becomes a bounty hunter. <laughs> no, but it's but it works. It works so well because it allows you to take that character in different directions, where she's no longer just a mustache twirling villain, but she's actually somebody who you see struggling with her identity and struggling with who she's going to be and struggling with the trauma that she has in a way that we hadn't really seen with a bounty hunter before, and is kind of you know a catalyst towards what we're getting with Book of Boba Fett now, where we're seeing maybe these characters who haven't always done the right thing kind of regretting and and questioning the life that they've lived and things Mm. like that. And she's not redeemed. She's not on the light side, but it like begs the question of what is she? And that's not a question that a lot of Star Wars entities force us to ask. And uh, yeah, I mean... I think it's really interesting that she chooses a bounty hunting career when so she can do the hunting for others when she's hunting for who she is herself. Like it's an external expression of that internal manifestation. And then when you get the the Kagi warriors and um, she finds the, the princess in, in the box that's basically going to be wed to the big creepy guy um, – that's where she draws the line and i think that that's really interesting because then you learn okay this character who i thought didn't have a line she wouldn't cross has a line and that's where it is and that will lead to her helping ahsoka and because things are not as clear cut for her anymore she doesn't know if she can trust the people she thought she could trust she doesn't know if she can do the things or should do the things that she thought she was supposed to do she starts to question her identity as essentially you know just this tool of uh the underworld tool of the dark side where she almost it almost seems like she doesn't have any um ownership over her own life and that's kind of the moment when she goes there has to be a line that I can't cross. And to me, that's what really separates heroes from villains is heroes have that moral line that they won't cross and getting to actually see, like we, we know what that is with Luke. We know what that is with Han and Leia and Padme and, and Ahsoka, but getting a dark sider who doesn't turn to the light, but also figures out where that line is 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 something really compelling and doing it through the lens of bounty hunting to me it it adds depth to those characters overall um because you go oh man like some of these people maybe got in this profession because they didn't know what else to do a la boba fett so i I love asajj ventress overall as a character 
especially during that bounty hunter time. Also, the helmet she wears on point. Oh, I have no idea what that looks like. Okay, cool. She has a little, uh, like a retractable helmet that she wears right when she's when she's fighting Ahsoka uh, there in season five of Clone Wars. Holy cow. Season five. Okay. Yeah. I remember her character being interesting, more interesting as that show went on. But I don't know that I ever hooked onto that that much detail and thematic elements as as you're you're describing there, which is good. I spend a lot of time thinking about Asajj Ventress, but <laughs> all right, it's going to be weird in a minute. All right, what's your number one? Okay, uh, I feel like it's a little stereotypical. It's not Boba Fett though. It's the other one. It's Din Djarin. Um, I Interesting. Think, think he's both really good at his job. He's a fascinating character to watch. I hate the recency bias, though. That's the one thing I have, like, kind of striking against. This is, like, he's the bounty hunter we're watching on screen. Like, there's really nobody else playing that particular role in new media. And that's okay. I'm not, I don't have a problem with that. Like, I think we've got a glut of bounty hunters to begin with. Like, there are, on Wikipedia, there are over 800 individual listed characters that identify at some point as a bounty hunter. And that's a lot. <laughs> But I think that Mando's one of the most interesting characters in Star Wars at all. I think that there's a lot of parallels, and it has most to do with the creed that he follows, the, the things that force him to set it aside, and the repercussions that he has to endure as a result of that. Like, that's a very personal story, and yet is a very universal tale. Like, I think all of us at some point, as humans, must decide at a certain point when we are going to put down our convictions and take the easy road. And I think he, he, well, not the easy road, but at what is it going to take for us to jeopardize our belonging, our family, our identity? And what are we going to do that for? Like, what is it that will set, will force me to set aside something I thought had been a core element to who I've been? And what would I do that for? Like, that's an interesting question to have to force yourself to ask. It's a very grown-up kind of thing. It's not a thing that you're going to think about until something pretty traumatic or important is going to happen to your life. And I feel like while Star Wars can do a lot of that exploration, I feel like a lot of times guys like us, when we're doing that kind of investigation, we have to grasp it at, at straws quite a bit. Like, there's not a lot of meat on those particular bones. The fairy tale structure of these stories makes pretty clear black and white who's right, who's wrong, and why. And there's not a lot of, like, what would I do in that situation moments. Like, I feel like all of us, when we watch A New Hope, we all want to be Luke. We all want to be the one who saves the day. We have no problem with that. We all want to be Han Solo, where we come swoop in at the last moment and deliver the killing blow. We all want to be Leia. We want to be that fearless leader who can resist all the pain and difficulty and whatnot in the world. That's great. It's great to have those heroes, and we need that kind of examples. They're good for us as people. You know, those ideals, those storytelling paragons, we want to be like that. But other stories tell us how we're living our lives today. It's not an ideal we're supposed to be living up to, but more how we should be dealing with the reality of our lives in front of us. And one of those realities is life is hard and things are going to happen that are going to challenge the very foundations of who you are and how are you going to respond to that. So when we watch Jaron struggle 
with that. You know, a core tenant of who he is as a Mandalorian, as the family that adopted it and saved his life, is you do not take your helmet and allow another living being to see you. You know, we see him walk that line in season one. You know, he, he, he finally allows his helmet to be removed by a droid because he feel like that's a technical out and that's okay for him. I don't think the armorer would have seen it the same way. But then we see him full-blown set aside that particular code in order to not save the life of somebody he loves, but simply find out where they are. And that's kind of crazy and like very interesting to me. And it was one of the reasons I wrote that article that, you know, the day that particular episode came out of season two, The Believer, just really hit me where I live and say, this guy knows what's most important to him. And it's the, the, the love that he feels for this child. And he's willing to do everything, including sacrifice his own family. Like the ones who are responsible for making sure he's alive, he's willing to put that on a shelf and say, thanks, I'm good. I need to put you here in order to save this, this child that I love. And then we see, and now we have seen, where he must endure the consequences of that action. And that was gut-wrenching to watch. One of the conversations I saw online after we see the armorer basically kick him out of the Mandalorian family was the level of trauma people were reliving as they fell out of their religions that they, they, they started life in. A lot of kids who start in church don't end in church, you know? Um, I can only speak about the particular faith that I belong to, but there's something like when a child who has spent 18 years of their life in the church, when they finally graduate high school and they can live on their own, 80% of them have no further involvement in the church. That's a pretty harsh statistic and a bad one that the church has to own. And we can see why, though. We can see why so many kids walk away. Because if their life is only invested in dogma, and if they think it's all about rules and a strict adherence to things, and it's a one-strike-and-you're-out system, that sucks. And that is going to hurt. And, and for people to see that level trauma on screen in the same universe that has Jar Jar Binks stepping in, in Banthapudu is really a hard left turn, and I love it. So there's a lot of that character that I really, really enjoy. But even in-universe, you know, the way he does... If we want to talk about just, like, job performance, man gets it done. I really considered putting him on my top three list. I don't know exactly where. Um, but the to me, when I was thinking through my list, the bounty hunting part of him is the least interesting part, or let me rephrase that, was the least interesting part of him for me. But the way that you reframed that around him giving up that life for Grogu and all of the things, mm. all, all those points you made, uh, I think that's a, a, a great take and really adds to, he's not just, like, the angle that I had on it was he was just a bounty hunter because, you know, what else is a Mandalorian going to be when you start off a story in Star Wars? You know, like... See, it's a crutch. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and the Mandalorian stuff was really intriguing. The Grogu stuff was really intriguing. Uh, you know, all of those things that has catapulted him into, you know, the level of, of fan love that Din Djarin has. But I never really considered the bounty hunting part of of it as 
uh, all that interesting. But yeah, I can I can definitely see it because there's so many other things that mm-hmm. the characters doing that are are much more fascinating. But there's a t- um, there are times in the first two years where he considers giving up bounty hunting because it endangers the life of the child too much. Like when they're on, I don't even know the name of the planet, but with the he has to train the team of people to fight off the bandits who have the, uh, the red glowing Sure, that sounds reasonable. Like there's a real like struggle that he has of like I could just stay here and I could live a life here and it would be great and it's ruined or that illusion is broken rather when another team shows up to hunt the child and he's like I can't get out of this I can't keep them I can't keep this child safe I've got to change my life and I've got to do things differently now in order to make sure he stays safe so even if like the religious aspect doesn't hit you, the personal development aspect doesn't hit you. The bounty hunter, bounty hunter aspect of it mirrors those other things. And I think that's really what is a strength in this is the way things are so layered um, deeply, but also like in a perpendicular fashion where they all intersect one another and they all line up in this beautiful fashion. The storytelling, I'm I'm so happy with the storytelling in these, these two particular shows. Um, and it was hard for me to keep him off my list because I, I was reading all these different characters, revisiting all the stories I could think of and say, who's the best character? Who do I want to see more of? Who do I want to spend more time of? And it's the guy getting a third season of his show. I mean, when he shows up in Book of Boba Fett, it, it's it's not Fett's show. <laughs> no, absolutely not. It's like- not. And, and I was totally fine with that whole episode. Like, more of that. That's fine. I love Boba Fett, I, and it kills me that Boba Fett's not even on my list. It's not on either of our lists. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. I don't even think of him as a bounty hunter anymore. Like, mm. it, it, I, and that's not necessarily a bad thing, because I don't no. think badly about the character. I love his character. He's always been fascinating. Um, but he's retired from that, and now he's doing something different, and I love it. So, but that, so now I have to figure out your number one has got to be Cad Bane. It, it is Cad Bane. Super excited to hear why. Uh, he has it all. He has, <laughs> it's he has the look, the hat, the swag. Uh, and to go back to, you know, earlier what I was talking about with Morello Eval, he has the resume and the results mm. to back it up. He That's breaks true. into the Jedi Temple, which is no small feat. It's even Alaire is added when you add in the Revenge of the Sith novelization and know that like Anakin couldn't even get into that level of <laughs> like that's that level of the Jedi Temple that he got into that particular vault was for Jedi Masters only. Okay, Anakin, wow. never a Jedi Master. <laughs> in combat, he's efficient at how and when he uses his weapons, which is an art form in and of itself. And I think the thing that solidified him as my favorite, and this is backed up by the reaction that I had uh, for Book of Boba Fett, is his appearance in The Bad Batch. When he appears in The Bad Batch, I audibly gasped um, (laughs) at him arriving. No, like, seriously, I was like, what? Like, not just that it was a cool character, that, that validated that... He's a character that I really value. Now, do I 
root for Cad Bane? Absolutely not. He's a villain, no doubt. Yeah. He's not but, a good person. <laughs> no, he's not a good person at all, but he is a great character. Uh, he is what I think pre the tragedy we always wanted Boba Fett to be. Uh, he has the Western gunslinger, all of that good stuff. Uh, he's witty. He is dismissive of his little uh, little droid, which is funny. <laughs> like he's got all of the aspects that you want in a Star Wars character, uh, except for you know the Force stuff. But then to like, we've been playing this episode for for a little while pre Cad Bane's appearance in Book of Boba Fett. I had true. him as my number one. If you hadn't presented such a great argument about Din Djarin being an amazing bounty hunter, that would have just, I mean, this would have just solidified it even more. Because again, I audibly gasped when we see that silhouette of him walking in. I'm like, they're going to do it. And there was never a doubt of could they pull off a Duros in, you know, live action. Because we've seen a Duros in live action. Like, we know... You can you can do that. How good it's going to be, that's another thing. And the effectiveness to which they pulled it off, like, is, it, it's mind-boggling. It really is. And, and I was actually having a conversation uh, about this where the more crossover we get between live action and animation, we've got, you know, your Saw Guerreras, you have... Uh, Cad Bane now, you have Fennec Shand, you have Ahsoka. Bo-Katan. Bo-Katan. The less awkward it's becoming for those characters to cross over. Like, it just is becoming more and more natural, and I think that's a testament to both how they're using them in the stories and then also the effectiveness uh, of the CGI and everything that they're, they're bringing into that, where it is... It's not... Seeing Cad Bane in Book of Boba Fett was not like, oh, this is what I always thought live action Bo- uh, Cad Bane looks like. It was, oh, yeah, the animation took after what the real Cad Bane would have looked like. You know, like. That's an interesting point. If it was back, if it was backwards and we had gotten the live action first, mm-hmm. that transition would have made sense. That's an interesting point. I like that. And so. Like every level that you could ask for, as far as I'm concerned, um, especially in a villain, it, he, he's there. He's all there. He's <laughs> he's got the coolness. He's got the threat. Like when he's on screen, it's not like a grievous where you're like, okay, this is a cool character. I like when he's on screen, but I also know he's not winning. Right. With yes, Cad Bane, with he you. fights Obi-Wan Kenobi and Quinlan Voss at the same time. And the whole time, you're really questioning who's walking away from that. <laughs> I like that he, he doesn't come with an agenda. And so he's not a, quote, like capital V villain. He's not like the big bad in the series. He's kind of a means to an end. Like his, he's there to play, to do a job. He has no personal investment but he goes at his assignments with everything that he has. So it's not like Vader who is obsessed with finding Luke, right? Like all of Empire Strikes Back can be boiled down to Vader hunts Luke. That's basically the entire film. But, and Cad Bane doesn't do that. So when, you show, when he shows up, you know automatically there's more going on behind the scenes than simply 
you know, a, a bad guy looking to make the good guy's life miserable. Yeah. He's there because somebody wants him there. Who wants him there? What is he supposed to do there? And, and really, he was supposed to either convert the, the Freetown people to the Pike's side or he was supposed to eliminate them as an option. And mm, again, he fulfills the contract to a T. Like, he did exactly what he's supposed to do. I really like that for his character. Like, there's something specific about him doing that, which makes the story so much more fulfilling. Because we know as an audience kind of his history where he doesn't have a, a vendetta against, you know, Omega that he has to hunt down, you know. It's it's not that he was uh, you know beat up by Jedi as a child or something like that. It's simply just he is this vicious and this ruthless because that's how he earns his bread at the end of the day. There's not this complicated tragic backstory of mm-hmm. like oh you know I w- my mind was twisted by Emperor Palpatine and so he's been every voice inside my head. Well, speaking of Palpatine though, like which bounty hunter does Palpatine trust? Does Palpatine hire? Cad Bane. There you go. Like, I mean, I think that that just adds to the credibility, not just of him as a character, because <laughs> now a game recognized game. <laughs> exactly. No, that's a hundred percent, a hundred percent what it is, because like part of being a bounty hunter is being able to get the job done. And a lot of times it's get the job done without anybody knowing you got the job done. Mm, and that's that's, interesting. that's what Cad Bane has to do. And we forget that because we see these stories and we see, you know, them actually completing the acts. We see Cad Bane sneaking into the Jedi Temple. Uh, we see him, you know, hunting or I guess, yeah, hunting uh, for the, the four sensitive children and all of this stuff. But you forget, like, he was chosen by Palpatine in this world where there's 800 Wikipedia entries for <laughs> bounty hunters, where Aura Singh exists, where Boba Fett's out there, where, uh, shoot, maybe there's an IG droid out there, Dengar's out there, Bosk is out there. You have all these other characters who Palpatine could have hired, but he hires Cad Bane. And not only does he hire Cad Bane, he hires Cad Bane to do an impossible job. Yeah. And he does it. He hires Cad Bane to do another impossible job. He does it. He gets Dooku to pull in Cad Bane. Like, it, it, it's not a coincidence that he is there all the time, and it's not just because he looks cool. We have a lot of Star Wars characters that look cool. He's a compelling character because when he is on screen, you are afraid for the people that you care about on said show. I love it. That's so good. You're absolutely right. It raises those stakes because you're like, oh, now their hero armor just came off. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. So I think. Nice uh, job. Nice job. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. That was good. I think I think we have a lot more Cad Bane coming. I don't know if we're going to have him die in Book of Boba Fett, but we'll, I don't know. we will find out and we'll have to we'll have to revisit. He's He would be a compelling character to do a whole a whole episode on and break down you know, everything that he goes through from Clone Wars in through uh, minor appearance in Bad Batch, but still pretty interesting. And then whatever I, they do. I don't here. know. I feel like that's a pretty important aspect of things. But I mean, I'm, I say minor appearance Is because that- he was only a, in a couple episodes. So he was in two episodes out of the do, 16. Do, I, I remember watching Bad Batch, I swear. But 
does he is he success he's successful in kidnapping her and bringing her back to Camino, correct? He kidnaps her. Way? He doesn't get her back to Camino because of Finnick Shan. And then him okay. and Finnick have this big fight in Omega escapes in a she slips pod. out yeah is that the only example of him not fulfilling a contract that we've seen oh i'd have to go back and revisit all of clone wars uh yeah, to officially yeah, say that uh, so that. let me know how that goes because i mean I'm, me, I'm here for it i will do it well you, you go for it man um it struck me when you're talking about it, it was like bounty hunters who fail at their job it was like well din Djarin is a prime example of that when he asks the client, capital C, what's going to happen to the child that he rescued, you know, like that is what sets him down the path is his mm, inability to, or rather not inability, but rather refusal to let go. Yeah. Cad Bane doesn't suffer from that. Not even a you know, little. He is, he has no, no problem kidnapping, you know, young, how old do we think Omega is? 13? Uh, roughly, yeah. Because if she, you know, Boba Fett was 10 in Attack of the Clones, and it was three years to Revenge of the Sith, which we know started like three days after the Bad Batch. So yeah, probably somewhere in that three, 13, 12, 13, 14 area. So yeah, Homeboy has no no uh, moral qualms about any of that. <laughs> Not even a little. Not, Not even a little. Blue, beautiful disaster boy. So, uh... I guess we will we'll wait and see what happens with Cad Bane, and we'll wait and see what happens with Din Djarin, and we'll wait and see uh, oh, what we yes. what we talk about on the next episode. Oh. Can't wait to see what happens next in the IG-88 saga. It's going to be so much fun to watch him come back, roar into life after his stint in Control of the Death Star. And if you haven't read that story yet, you probably should, because otherwise this is going to make any sense to you at all. Well, I will let everybody go uh, go go read that story. Um Tales I'm not going to promise Jabba's that. Jabba's Palace? Uh, Tales of the Bounty Hunters. Tales of the Bounty Hunters. Okay. The first story yeah. in Tales of the Bounty Hunter, you got the, the Imperial officer that wants to get a facelift and all that stuff. It's great. I don't remember that, but okay. Yeah. 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 It can't you be fr- any weirder than the certain point of view story for the mouse droid. That's fair. <laughs> or the, yeah, yeah. No, just yep. all... You yeah. could at most of a certain point of view, but that's neither here nor there. That's for Don't Burn the Sacred Text, uh, which oh, we'll... Can't talk about books now over here? Great. No, no, we are banned from talking about books. We are Sorry. not educated people here on this podcast. Uh, no, but check out Don't Burn the Sacred Text. Check out Forever Star Wars, Starships, Sith Talk. Sith we talk. have it all here. Uh, you, you're getting three episodes today for Star Wars Podcast Day, and hopefully uh, you enjoyed this episode. Hopefully we, you come back for more, and uh, we will be discussing Cad Bane. We'll be discussing Din and Grogu, everybody, because we are in an era where Star Wars does not stop, and neither do we. So nice. hang out with us over in our Facebook group. Join us on Patreon to support our literacy initiative. Flashing Sabers on Twitter. Drew is at the Drew Brett. It's me. And uh, let's make sure we remember the most important lesson in Star Wars. Batch 8. Hi ho. That was good. <laughs> it's like we never stopped doing this. I know. I'm so proud of us. I know. I'm so I really wish my... I could remember what our alternative sign-off was going to be, though. We're like the Cad Bane of podcasting. We just always so... get the job done. Yeah. <laughs> So am I the annoying droid sidekick or are you the annoying droid sidekick? Depends on the episode. Yeah, I think we all know what the real answer is anyway. Yeah, it's Lindsay.
The podcast you just listened to and all other Clashing Sabers productions are the intellectual property of ClashingSabers.net. All sounds and materials used from other creators is their stuff, and we just use different informational and educational purposes. Bottom line, we made it, it's ours, they made it, it's theirs. Seems simple, but if you're still confused, feel free to email us at ClashingSabersNetwork at gmail.com. We have no association with Lucasfilm, Disney, or any of the other fine companies that make all this stuff we talk about. But, Kathleen Kennedy, if you need anything, let me know. I work for cheap. Now let's blow this thing and get out of here.